0: Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End. It's another one of our away day companion podcasts. We thought we'd start doing these this season where basically we're doing a special podcast. We're not talking about the game necessarily, but we will give you a something Watfordy to listen to whilst you travel to your away games. And of course, today, many of you, or tomorrow maybe, uh, many of you are off to Middlesbrough. On this away day podcast, we're going to talk about heroes and, and, and cult heroes in particular. And I'm joined by two of my heroes. Firstly, <laughs> Mr Colin Mace. Well, thank you. I hope I'm a cult hero. I'd rather be a cult hero than a hero, I think. <laughs> OK, well, you can be a cult hero. I think you are. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and of course, <clears throat> Mr Michael Parkin.
1: I'll tell you who really are heroes. I was thinking about this today as I idly looked up the mileage from Watford to, to Middlesbrough. It's, it's a real long way. Mm. And I love that Watford fans and football fans go to these away games Without even thinking about that, it, the fact that it's, it's miles and miles and miles away, cost of fortune, logistically challenging, it just doesn't cross people's minds. So, they, so this is dedicated to all the away fans. They're, they're my heroes of the, uh, of the moment. I, just, I, I love that about us. I love that about football fans.
0: Yeah, Of course, um, Colin, you're going to Burnley in a couple of weeks and uh, you did the ultimate uh, away day uh, fan thing where you went all the way to Burnley and didn't see a game of football uh, (laughs) a few years ago. Thanks to a a certain virus that, um, that impeded us over a couple of years. So we, uh, but you are going to make that trip uh, on Valentine's Day, which is another sort of heroic thing for uh, what for fans to do. To some <laughs> I've been of them, maybe for nearly thirty years, Valentine's Day doesn't really get through the front door. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to basically in the main of the podcast. We're going to put together an eleven, a cult eleven, because we had a quite a discussion about trying to pick this team. And I guarantee you, you will disagree with this team. Um, but please remember, this is all just for fun. Mike, we talked about cult heroes, but for you, heroes. Generally, how have they changed for you? I know you've talked a lot about John McLennan and, and Tony Coton being your heroes when we first started coming to Watford in the mid-80s. How, how do you look at these players? How has that changed from when you were bright-eyed uh, in the mid-80s?
1: I think the word hero, it still remains the same. And I, and I think the first genuine hero I, I had was Tony Coton. And the reason he was my hero is because he was literally protecting Watford. He was protecting the Watford goal there in front of my, however old I was, eight, nine, ten-year-old eyes. He was the one, he was the last line of defence stopping my beloved Watford from from conceding a goal. So he was my, you know, in the truest sense of the word, defender of my love. And I think that <laughs> made him a a hero. Um, and, and I think as, as time's gone on, Heroes stay the same. You view them slightly different, obviously, yeah. as you as you get a little bit older. But I think it's about how you conduct yourself um, in relation to Watford Football Club, because my love for Watford Football Club hasn't diminished or changed or altered in any way since I was that that wide-eyed little kid. Um, whereas now I'm just a wide waisted um, <laughs> man. It's it's still the same. I still love the club, and I still have that 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 emotional unbreakable bond with it and it's how people represent that club what are they willing to do for it when they step over that that white line? do they represent themselves and the club in the best possible light do they give absolutely everything is it really visible um that so that in terms of a hero i think that's what it is for me someone willing so evidently willing to get to put it all on the line for the, for the badge and the club that i love
0: because for me, I think a lot of my heroes, I always think them when I was a child, they were heroes. Now they're my favourite player. Um, and I have, I have many favourite players and that they do change um, depending on who's currently at the club. But Colin, did you find that a lot of your heroes are more attacking players? Or, or do you have, like Michael there, have a bit of a defensive favouritism?
2: I think it's a really interesting question, that. Because I, I think that, uh, for me, the difference between a hero and what we would call a cult hero is that heroes are universally loved by all Watford fans. You'd struggle to find a Watford fan that didn't think Tony Cotan was a hero. But no, I don't think that... I don't think that that I really discern between whether they're between the posts or whether they're in the back line or whether they're in the midfield or up front. I mean, when I was a kid, obviously, I watched Duncan Wellborn. Uh, Stuart Scullion was just like... And uh, it made my eyes kind of like, I had stars in my eyes when it, when I watched him play. But the one player that really stuck out for me is partly because I met him when I was really, really young. And you know how talkative I am. I went to meet Terry Garbitt, who scored the equaliser in the semi-final in 1970 against Chelsea at White Hart Lane, for those of you old enough to remember. And we were one all at half-time, and then it all went wrong after that. But I went to meet Terry Garbett and I was about... Nine, maybe, or ten, and I was a very, very chatty kid. My poor mother, um, but uh, so she took me along to a shoe shop on Watford High Street where he was kind of available to be met sort <laughs> of <a> weird thing <laughs> that happened back then. So, in full kit, a bit like I can imagine the, the boys of uh, girls of today, I was in full kit socks, uh, trainers. You know, plimsolls, basically shorts, shirt. I went along to meet Terry Garbett, who was somebody that I really revered as a player. And I walked into the into the. My mum took me into the <laughs> into the shoe shop, and I had been babbling about this literally for like days. Like, I'm going to meet Terry my Mum. I'm so excited. I can't sleep. when are we going to get up? And what time are we leaving? I don't know. Anyway, we get to the shop and we walk in, and there he is. And he's kind of pretending to work in this shoe shop. He's not like sitting in a chair. But so my mum walks up and goes, Oh, this is my son Colin. And he's a big fan of yours, Mr. Garbett. Um, and he says, Oh, hello there, Colin. Absolute silence. <laughs> and he, says, and he says, I see you've got your full kit on then silence
1: (laughs) oh no anyway
2: this went on for about three minutes and then i just sort of nodded and he shook my hand and then we turned around and walked out and my god i wept and wept and wept not (laughs) having met him but because i had been completely frozen and unable to speak and i think that sums up for me what a hero is but yeah in that period when i was really little you know well-born eddie scullion ending garbage there were lots of players that I because I was young you know and you, you see them differently then you don't yeah, really know how good they are 100%. you don't know how good they are as footballers but something about them makes you you know makes you kind of worship them in some way as you get older of course you one's a bit more discerning about who your heroes are but yeah as a kid those
0: were those were mine and that's a really important fact that we had to keep in mind, you know, not just picking people that were our heroes. They had to have something special about them, something that made them unique. I think in, in all the discussions that we had about picking this team, the sort of the values that we had, they had, to have, you know, they had to have done something interesting at the club, something memorable, maybe. Even if it was just one bright thing in the middle of naffness, they had a, a quirk was good, some, somewhat endearing to us hopefully they were they were just ours and they maybe did nothing after Watford at least um and of course the the man who is always good with definitions uh, is Mr. Arden Hury, uh from the uh, the Football Clichés podcast. Um, he's, of course, uh, co-host with our friend and our, our co-host uh, of this here podcast, uh, Mr. David Cameron Walker. Uh, and you get that wherever you get your, your podcast from. And, and he gave us, quite a while ago actually, he gave us this definition of cult heroism.
3: Cult heroism in football is kind of deliberately and conveniently slippery concept you have to think of it in terms of like a Venn diagram you, and you need to fit it into at least one of these following circles. None of them actually involve being consistently good at football though. The first one is kind of like a superhuman work ethic, kind of this innocent application to your trade that, that the average punter kind of will really appreciate. That's that's pretty basic. The second one is kind of a mid-range violent tendencies. It's not enough to make you a complete scumbag. It's just enough to to, to make you look like you're really fighting for the cause. So just general low-level dark arts. Third one is Maverick Flashes of Exotic Talent, a a typical kind of foreign import who plays well for a bit, gets cold and then leaves. That's enough for cult heroism these days. Fourth is it's got an innocently playful social media presence. It's quite a modern thing, but um, kind of, just sort of re- really innocently um, engaging with the average punters on, on Twitter is always quite a nice thing, um, showing that you're humble and don't take yourself too seriously. Finally, if you simply score precisely once against your club's most bitter rivals, that's usually enough. But if you do go on to score 200 more, then your cult heroism gets taken away because you're just too good. So I hope that solves the equation for you. <laughs> it doesn't quite, Adam, but thank you so much. I,
1: I love how he, the first one he says is basically what I described and then went on to say, oh, yeah, that's really basic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone on pouring my heart out about how much I love Tony Cohen. and then Adams just said, oh, yeah, well, that's just, you know, commoner garden stuff, any football fans. So uh, But I, I think there is another little circle and that's just if you're complete crap.
0: <laughs> well, that's the bit where cult comes in because cult is, is basically about a small number of people. Uh, like it or involved with it and there I think a lot of the people who we're going to talk about are people who you know you you, we love a small group of people love for a certain reason but generally generally not everybody loved them Um, and I think that's that's a really important part of what makes this cult Eleven, and in fact we're not even going to call it cult hero eleven. It's just going to be a cult no. Watford eleven.
1: I do, yeah. I do think it's worth making the point, John. The amount of conversation that this has generated in our oh God, in our WhatsApp much.
0: group and on the
1: emails <laughs> and on phone calls, it's so, it's so hard to come up with a with a cult cult hero eleven would be so difficult because I think it is personal as well. But it's been it's it's made me laugh so much the toing and froing that we've <laughs> we've, we've we've had on this one. It's so hopefully it inspires that sort of um, conversation for. Uh, for the listeners
0: as well. So you can you can get involved with this. You can sit in your car, on your train, however you're getting up to Middlesbrough. Uh, press pause now and have a conversation. See if you can pick your cult eleven of some weird, quirky, endearing players that you love for s- no particular reason or some very weird um, niche reason. Uh, have a listen, have a chat, um, and then when you finish, you can press play again and see who we picked in our cult eleven. <laughs> Colin, let's start with, with your choices uh, that you had in your 11. Uh, and your goalie, David James. Yeah. For me, he's a standout cult
2: goalkeeper at the club. Because we've had some really, really good goalkeepers you have stayed a long time. Gomez, Almunia. Obviously, you know, the double save for the Deeney goal has, has sort of cast him into, into hero status. And also, he, they were good goalkeepers. But the thing about James was we had him when he was young. And um, he went on to carry the moniker of Calamity James throughout his career. He's quite a comic character in some ways, in a way that he's the epitome of the cult player, because there were people who stood on that Vicarage Road Terrace who literally could not stand him. They couldn't stand him. He's always got a ricket in him. What's he doing standing there? His positioning's all wrong. He can't, you know. But there were others who just thought that he was great because he was a brilliant shot stopper. Mm. But he also he also was flawed. Um, in lots of ways. And I I think the other thing that kind of made him stand out for me was his ability was patchy. But uh, when we sold him, I think we sold him for (laughs) £975,000. And I can remember friends of mine going... What? How much? <laughs> that's not possible. Why have they bought him for that? And of course, what they saw was the potential of a really, really good goalkeeper, which of course he, he he turned out to be. But he never, ever really lost that moniker of Calamity James. And that's what made us smile. And that's what made us, those that liked him and, and, and felt warm towards him, felt that that flaw, and I think a flaw in the person is key to making them into a sort of cult figure. Uh, and he certainly had that. And I can't really think of another goalkeeper that, that made me feel that way. I mean, uh, obviously I don't go back as far as Pat Jennings, but, you know, Andy Rankin was a solid professional, barely ever made a mistake. And, you know, as I say, we've had Foster and Almunia Gomez. We've had lots of uh, really good goalkeepers over the years. So, so he's the one that stands out for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, he does get in there for me, the little bit, the, the, the number of appearances can be a factor in picking if you're a cult player or not, you know, under a appearances, by the way, any facts, and figures do not come from my brain. They all come from the all new, all relaunched Watford FC archive. Uh, so that's where they, the, any details that I give out uh, are coming from. But you know, just I'm- be
2: careful if you go on that because it's like going down the rabbit hole. You're suddenly <laughs> Alice in Wonderland, and an hours pass, and you're, you're yeah. looking at oh, what happened in 1961. Oh, I, oh, I don't remember that. Oh, you played <laughs> in that game. Oh, we lost four two. What happened? And you just go. It's like a weird hour. It's like it's like you know going on YouTube and listening to music. You just end up going all around the world. That it's a very dangerous
0: thing. That archive, you have to be careful, and you have to put a time limit on yourself. Otherwise, you'd be there for days. <laughs> and I'm remembering from it, um, you know how he he only played those you know less than a hundred games. He came from our youth system. He won the FA Youth Cup. You know he won an FA Cup with Watford yeah. uh, when he was a, a young player. So we'll see who else Mike's got to come in, and we'll, we'll maybe. Yeah, we'll see if we, he does actually make the final 11. Your uh, your back fours, uh, both of you put in two men, uh, Jose Holabas and Lloyd Doyley. And I think you both picked them and, and it's hard not to pick them. We'll talk about them individually in a minute. But you you had Danny Shittu uh, in your team, uh, Colin. What What does he add, do you think, to, to any team and why, why cultishness? Well, I think it's really
2: interesting uh, what your man said there about how you define what a cult player is. I think having a slight screw loose is one thing. I think the wholehearted 100% effort even when perhaps as a player you're not necessarily um the best you know in your in your division. And I think Danny Shittu came to the club uh, things were were pretty difficult I think when he came if I remember rightly. And he showed that complete wholehearted effort, but he also he also had a sort of borderline <laughs> Borderline, um, he put in a few, let's put in a few strong tackles, let's put it that way. Yeah, we loved um, him, we loved him. Yeah, (laughs) and he was very pacey, we sometimes closed our eyes, put our hands over our eyes when you saw him hurtling across the pitch. And and the same for another gentleman in that back four as well, Uh, we'll come to talk about him in a minute. But um, yeah, so I think, I think uh, Danny should have just stood out for me as one of those players that you, you were so pleased he was in the team, even though you thought, well, he's not that cultured, you know, he's, He's a bit of a you know he's a, he makes mistakes, he gives up fouls at times, he gets bookings, but you know we just loved his wholeheartedness. And, and it was at a time if my memory serves me correctly, where we were struggling, we didn't have much of a budget. We weren't bringing in you know quality cultured players like we've seen over the past few weeks. And, uh, and so you know they, they, the one's eye was drawn to him. He was a big, roughhouse sort of player he got stuck in and, that, and that's why I think he's a
0: cult figure. You also put in Robert Page, but now you're 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 doubting yourself a little bit, aren't well, you? Well,
2: the thing about Robert Page, and I hate to say this, and he was our captain for ages, but again, mm. captain at a time when things were so difficult. I think we were the first club in the league to have 50 academy players appear for the first team when we we're in the championship and maybe those two seasons in League One as well. And... And people said oh isn't it great Watford use their academy so much <laughs> and it was like yeah that's because the only <laughs> the only players we can pick because we were losing players and coaches and we were having a really difficult time and we were bringing lots and lots of players in uh, and Paige was our captain during uh, a period of that and again I think he he wasn't necessarily the best center half that we've ever seen but again he had that wholehearted quality the up and at and the leadership but he made mistakes and uh, sometimes he had bad days but uh, so I, I was struggling really to think of another cult centre half because normally centre halves are quite solid. I think if I was to put one in, if if we're allowed to have a current player, mm. and I, I guess that that's not that's not, not allowed, not necessarily. no. But if but I think that of the of the current squad, I would think that Cabocelli has the potential to become a cult figure. I know he's played a lot for us and he's been here too long. But again, there's a kind of comedic aspect to Cabocelli. Some people just shake their heads <laughs> when they see him, and and he makes you know he. You remember he fell over against Bournemouth and they went on and scored and Capoo came along and tapped him on the head and went, you know, stand up, what are you doing, falling over? He, he has that slightly uh, comedic aspect to his game, although I think he's a very fine player and he's been in the Belgian squad, so he can't be that bad. But um, he's been a great servant as well, so maybe that rules him out of having cult status. But uh, he also has that other thing, which is he has a kind of fun social media presence. He's, you know, he's, he's done stuff on... Twitter and Instagram that which we'll all remember and uh so yeah I think he's got potential but I was I did struggle a bit so uh, yeah Robert Page maybe I'm not sure that was the one I came up with
0: I can maybe there's some people in the car saying Robert Page you sure um <clears throat> that one but that's that that comes from you as well there Colin um Mike let, let's finish off this let's make this picture I, I do like the idea of Danny Shittu you wanted to put in Jay Demerit, who was one of the, the men who sat next to him uh, stood next to him uh, and also Colin Foster why Colin mm. Foster? Mm.
1: So Colin Colin Foster was an early example for me of someone coming in and improving the team straight away. Watford were really struggling that season. He came in, we were really facing relegation in the in the face, and he came in, and all of a sudden everything felt a little bit better. He was sort of commanding. He just shored things up. He looked dominating. He was he was big and tall, wasn't he? and it was just a real early example of like Watford making a signing and him doing what he was supposed to do which is immediately immediately improve the team but but immediately improve the team when it was desperately required so i whenever i see a picture of colin foster i always sort of see him as a bit of a savior i sort of connect him with that with with getting us out of the out of the brown stuff and it just felt like ah oh, this is this is my club doing the right thing, bringing in a sensible player, and then that player doing the doing what he's supposed to do and, and turning in some some decent performances. So I think he he just knight in shining armour is probably pushing it a little bit. <laughs> but, but, but I've got I've got such fond memories of him, and yeah. it just it's, it's such a fraught time to be a Watford support. The trap door was creaking open; we were teetering precariously over it. But sort of Colin Foster sort of seemed to add that. I mean, this is all with the benefit of hindsight. There's yeah. definite revisionism here because those games that he played in were still absolute carnage.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, was... he was around, he, he tell him in 1994, around for three seasons. But, you know, they, I think we finished, he says, looking at the Watford Archive, 19th, 7th. Uh, and then finally, the last season, you know, he when he left, we were 23rd and we got relegated. You know, there you go. The The 90s were not a, a, a great thing. And he did, like you said, you called him a in shining armour. He did, in armour, he did shine. I think that is a very good reason. So I I, I know, he, you know, JJ from the USA. He what, had,
1: what an amazing story, though, Jay was. And, and a very Watford-y story as well. Sort of, he... It's almost like Dick Whittington, wasn't it? Slung his boots over his over his shoulder, made the journey uh, over to the UK, got his trial in non-league, and Watford picked him up. And as you mentioned, Johnny ends up scoring in the Millennium Stadium to take Watford to the to the Premier League. It's such a it's such a Watford esque fairy tale, and and the way he has acquitted himself a in the in the shirt, but but b since he's a he's a cool guy, isn't he? Sort of. Loves the Packers. He's always sort of coming up with um, entrepreneurial ideas. He's obviously got a social conscience and all that sort of stuff. So it's just, there's just loads about him. But the, the, the most important thing was just that Watfordy story. story, the way he sort of hooked into... He was almost sort of Watford made flesh. You know, the, the, the plucky upstart went for it, believed in himself and, and delivered on it. And I, I just love that about it. I also think, I also think that's an important factor as well
2: in the what happens afterwards because uh Jay Demerit has, has you know still wears a Watford shirt still comes to games occasionally and is is a Watford fan in oh, his sure. post footballing career and that that also keeps that love going you know that he has football running through his veins rather than someone who just comes and does something sort of incredible for a while and then just sort of disappears this this guy has has definitely got Watford in his in his blood and i think that that definitely speaks in his favor
0: as a cult though colin or just an amazing guy, well, a cult.
2: Yeah. I think he, I can hear in Mike's uh, voice that he considers him uh, a cult hero, whether he's really a cult. I don't think anybody really thinks he wasn't great for us. So I think mm-hmm. there is a factor where it's got to be a player that some people think, well, I don't know, what. why are you going on about him? Oh, he's not that good, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and when we come to certain players uh, in this team later on, we'll, we'll certainly find that kind of conflict amongst the Watford supporting fan base. People who say, oh, I don't understand why you've got his name on the back of your shirt, he's useless. Or, oh, I don't like him, his attitude, whatever it is, you know, it's got a, he's got to divide opinion, I think. I like Jay Demerit and I think he, he he probably deserves a
1: spot. He makes he makes stereos out of of briefcases, out of suitcases. Oh, he does, doesn't he?
0: Okay, Mike, you got to pick the two. Who are the two centre backs going to be? Jay Demerit, Danny Shittu, Colin Foster. Who who are the two you picking?
1: Oh, let's go with. Well, should we go with one of each? Why, why don't we go with with Colin Foster for me and Danny Shittu for Cole?
0: You don't want to put Jade Merritt in?
1: Well, it makes him even. It, it gives it improves his chances of. Um, of Getting into the next one, it makes him more, more culty, doesn't he? If he he's if the he boy, with the rover
0: 11, guaranteed. Yeah, all right,
1: he, he'll understand, he wouldn't want to be on it
0: anyway. <laughs> okay, so the other, the finish off that back four, uh, guaranteed in because he's the first one that ever came off your lips, Colin, and you were not gonna not have him in this team. Was Jose Holabas? <laughs> why come on, Colin? Why
1: you've got he,
2: he ticks every single box for a cult hero, he lots does. of what for fans didn't like him. Um, and, and, and and refused to like him even after he was really good for us. Um, he had a moment of inspiration at Middlesbrough, interestingly. Uh, oh, yeah. I was at that game where he stuck it in from 25 yards and won us the game 1-0. Um, he put in literally... effort. You can't put in more than 100%. I know people talk about 110%. I hate that. Um, He put in 100%. um, He was irascible, difficult, fought with referees, got booked a lot, got sent off. But my God, he had a winning mentality. And there was at a time when we were first back in the premier league after two those two disastrous seasons in 2000 and 2006 and we were back and he wasn't playing ake was playing he he nearly left the club he didn't want to clump to the club in the first place and then he started playing and we realized you know what we had on our hands he played in champions league games for olympiacos i think I, i'm correct in saying but he had this attitude on the pitch he never smiled and in fact phil and i um, invented that song you know he he always wins the ball he never smiles at all Holler bass. And uh, eventually <laughs> the rookery did sing it for him, uh, right? He came down for a corner on the left hand side of the rookery and the whole rookery or that side of the rookery sang his song and then he was interviewed and they played it to him and he said, he said, Oh, this is my song. I don't see why I should smile. What am I smiling about? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he he was well known for being grumpy. The whole, I think the whole club loved him, even though he didn't really understand why they loved him. And there was some, I remember watching some video of him at a birthday, it was his birthday and they brought in a cake and everyone's laughing at him and slapping on him. And he just looks furious. And so, (laughs) so I think that he, um, he he has to get in. I mean, he's just a he does stand out yeah,
1: here. Yeah. there's there's one there's one memory that make that makes me I would have fought tooth and nail to make sure he goes in because I absolutely love Jose Holabas. <laughs> Yet yeah, you two were there. You saw this away at Southampton in the FA Cup. <laughs> he's giving he's giving <laughs> oh. absolute pelters to the crowd. He Someone's was. had a go, and I'm giving it back. You are a disgrace! How dare you ever go at us, the fans? We <laughs> pay. <laughs> so it was basically fans screaming at Holabas, Holabas screaming back at the fans. Yeah, we all bloody love him, don't we? So well, I think if, you've also, got to get in on the back of that. Also, you've got a pair of his underpants, Mike. I do have a pair of his underpants, <laughs> yeah. I will be taking no further
0: questions at this time. Done, finished, thank you. Um, the other one is, is, uh, in that uh, back four has to be uh, uh, Lloyd Doyley. Mike, um, you know, uh, probably out of the, the team we've picked, he's got by far the highest number uh, of uh, appearances. You know, he's got 443 appearances. Yeah. Which you might sort of say, you know, that doesn't quite make you a cult. You're around for too long, but for the majority of football fans, it was a Watford fans. He was it was uh, in and out of love with Lloyd, wasn't it?
1: Well, it's pretty easy for me why he gets into this eleven. He his his commitment and what he achieved with Watford is absolutely undeniable. Anyone that that knows the Hornets knows. The importance of Lloyd Doyle. We also know what it was like watching him. To start with, he'd give you a heart attack. It looked like any attacker worth their salt was going to skin him. <laughs> but then, what we realised was that any attacker worth their salt was going to find it very difficult to get past Lloyd Doyle because he just managed to contort himself into shapes and whatever he did to stop, whether it's Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo or some clogger from League Two, he approached it the same way, and it was it was usually pretty effective, and went on to have an amazing career with Watford we I love him I love him with all my heart for all the reasons that we've talked about earlier in terms of commitment and and effort and achievement for for your football club but I think the best way that sums up why he should go into this 11 is that all probably Watford fans too a man uh woman and child would but would would love say they love Lloyd Doyley yet if he signed for another club they'd be like oh my god why are we signing him for (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly
0: Perfect, yeah. So that's our back four. Let's go with that then. Jose Holobas, uh, Danny Shittu, Colin Foster and Lloyd Doyle. Jay Demirant on the bench. Uh, yes, Jay is, is first sub. I'm still not sure about the goalkeeper. We'll come back to the goalkeeper. We'll come back to the goalkeeper. Uh, midfield, uh, both of you, Vallon Barami. Both of you said it, he's in the team. Colin, why Valon?
2: Well, we, we we managed to scramble up into the Premier League after a long break and and a lot of players arrived at the club uh, before that season, and this bleach blonde uh, Swiss Kosovan lad who looked about six stone, dripping wet, came to play in our midfield alongside Ben Watson. I think uh, were they were the two together? weren't they for most of that season? Um, correct me if I'm wrong. And again, a bit like Holobas, he was just a hundred percent man. He just ran around putting out fires. I mean, he was just everywhere. Yeah, he got booked, and he had a, he had the odd violent uh, moment. He just fought for the cause. He fought for the cause. Again, you know, was he really Premier League quality in those in those couple of seasons when he was with us? Um, It's hard to say because, you know, the football changes so quickly and we look at what Premier League quality is now compared to what it was in 2015. It's probably a bit different, but we didn't care. He just committed himself completely to the cause. Um, he got sent off in our first Premier League win back in the Premier League. We were playing Swansea at home. We'd had quite a good start to that season. We'd drawn with Everton. I think we'd, uh, we'd lost to City, unsurprisingly, at the Etihad. We'd got the most awful draw against um, Poulis' West Bromwich Albion, a nil-all-bore draw at Vicarage Road. And then we played Swansea. And we went 1-0 up. And then in a fit of uh, violent intent, he got himself sent off, Barami, and we had to hang on with 10 men for the last, I don't know how long, 15 minutes or so, and it seemed to go on forever and ever. But it was our first win back in the Premier League. We'd got five points from our first four games, and we were off and running. And I think a lot of the reason that we did well in that season, one of the reasons that we were able to get the ball forward to the likes of Dini and Agallo was that we had that dynamo in midfield who, who was able to sniff out trouble Break it up and and uh, not necessarily get the ball forward, but he was he was there protecting the back four and and giving us that opportunity to get forward when we could.
0: He's in. He's got to be in. Um, yeah, for the hair alone, maybe because <clears throat> actually there's not a lot of good hair in this in this team so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the other term we we had discussion. We said Nigel Callahan came in mainly for his off field uh, and sort of what happened after his career. I think at Watford, Steve Palmer, of course. He met His achievement of wearing every single number uh, in a season, a uh, shirt number in a season. Richard Johnson, mainly I think that's got to be down to the fact that we used to shout shoot every time he got the ball, even if he was just outside his own penalty box. <laughs> but the one we're going to stick in, Mike, is, is Brian Talbot from the yeah. 1980s. And he mm. is just that, his face alone, seeing it reminds me of, it takes me back to those early days. And again, it's he's a classic player for me who I... Learned so much more so much later about him he did play in my first ever game uh, but in many ways I don't really remember much about him but now I know that he was you know we got him at the end of his career and we got him from Arsenal
1: yeah I mean what I love about Brian Talbot, and why I think he definitely should go in is because if you mentioned Brian Talbot and Watford I reckon about 80% of people will have to double-check whether he did actually play for Watford or not. <laughs> and it's one of those things, it feels a little bit like a fever dream. But, yeah, we signed him from Arsenal, and I think this is another reason why I, I like the idea of this one. It feels like we were signing a really well-known player. We had our own well-known players, of course, at that stage. You know, we had Luther, who's well-known, and John Barnes, and... Um, but someone who'd won the FA Cup, I think he'd won it a couple of times. Did he win it with Ipswich and Arsenal before? And I
0: think he won them back to back, right, with two well, different clubs. Incredible! That's, like a, that's a, yeah, a little special you know, thing about him. Yeah, a yeah. so pedigree
1: and just someone who was instantly recognisable. If you watched football, you knew who Brian Talbot was at that stage. And for him to sort of rock up at Watford was—it felt like it, it just was a bit of a mad one. I think for me as a as a as a youngster watching it and. And as quickly as he arrived, he went, didn't he? I think he was only there for for, for a season, turned up, played loads of games, scored a decent amount of goals and, and, and as soon as he'd arrived it sort of disappeared again. And I, I just love that sort of that sort of his his flame burned bright but briefly type element of his career. And the, 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 romance, the romantic side of me recognising him coming from Arsenal. You know, Arsenal, well, as much as they are now see, that were viewed as, a, as an enormous club with, with enormous pedigree and the, the marble reception steps and all that sort of stuff and here we had what sort of one of their one of their really good players playing for us and of course there's a fame it was the the amazing Solvite kit wasn't it um but yeah it's just it's just one that always tickled me and uh, yeah I, I, I want him in I want him in
0: yeah he has that thing of you know we got him at the end of his career he did some great things before us but he did one massive season for us and then I think he did start the following year but then he he left really early on in the season when there weren't transfer windows. But yeah, I think Brian Talbot's got to go in for that, that energy, like you say, that sort of kudos that I he, he brought. We did have a lot of players though at that point. We were bringing players in that had a lot of kudos. We need another, another one in that midfield and it is a, a, is a tough choice. The other ones that were sort of on our, our long list of central midfielders, Stephen McGinn, you know, Hal Vest, Daniel Tozier, Derek Payne, Am I t- trying too hard there? Roger Jocelyn, Adeline Guardiola uh, and Douglas Rinaldi, but also Neil Redfern. And, and for me, you know, why Neil Redfern might go in is because he basically was great at free kicks. And that's all I really remember about him is taking these free kicks and scoring goals in important games. But who, who else are we going to stick in for this midfield three? Because we'll go for a three because we've got well, three up front.
2: I- I'm going to make a, a plea for Nigel Callaghan because... He was an odd lad, let's face it, and, and um as you say, he went on after Watford to become a, a DJ and went and did all that thing in a beef and everything. But at the club, he played in one of the best teams we've ever had, which is undoubted. And he played on the right hand side, Barnes on the left, uh Blissit and Jenkins up front. And but he was he was like the kid. He was always seen as as the kid. And from what I've read and from I've met him a couple of times and what he said, you know, they he he was like the runt of the family. He was not. He was bullied a little bit. He was always having the mickey taken out of him. His hair was always being ruffled by the old by the other lads, but again, he had that wholehearted attitude uh, to playing, and he he could cross a ball, and he and he had those enormous legs from all the cycling he'd done as a kid, and he just he was kind of loved, but he wasn't loved as much as the heroes in that team. So for me, he's a slightly forgotten man from that era because he was brilliant for us uh, for quite a long period. He, uh, when he got the ball, you definitely got excited because you knew he was just going to pelt down the wing. But he also had that boyish quality that, you know, he could fall over or he could make a mistake or he could just be, that. you you know, you found yourself smiling when you, you watched him. And as I say, having met him a couple of times since, uh, uh, tales from the Vicarage Live and I've, I've met him independently <laughs> on one occasion uh, he still has that quality there's a slightly um, it's not a very kind word but there's a slightly gormless um, a- a sort of aspect to him where he's. but he's also slightly kind of wide-eyed and innocent I personally really uh, love him and I, I, I do think that he was a great Servant, he did amazing things and people talk about Barnes and Blissett and Jenkins and they talk about those players Johnston and even though he was only there like a few minutes and, and people have slightly forgotten about Callie and yet Callie was really loved by lots and lots and lots of Watford fans for what he did
0: You convinced me Colin yeah, Nigel's me in the team yeah Nigel is in the team um, mainly because I think there's that thing that like you say it was a great team and people know that team but many football fans outside of Watford wouldn't really talk and mention Nigel, like you said, they just mentioned the the big players like Barnes and Blissett uh, that you sort of you mentioned there. So so he's in midfield three, Nigel Callahan, Fallon Barami, and Brian Talbot. Now up front, we have got quite a weird sort <laughs> of bunch of choices. Now let's go yours, Colin, first of all. You said Barry N Dean. Now that's a name I know from a very long time ago. But that sort of makes you think, does that make him a colt? In the same way, could I see uh, a young boy now, or even a twenty-year-old, and say Nigel Callahan, they'd go who? But if I said Barnes and Blissit, they'd go, yeah, I know them. I've seen that. I mean, you know, I've watched videos and all the rest of it. He's someone I know. So that feels like he he can't be a cult. Why would you want to put Barry Endine in?
2: Well, for one thing, he's the only Watford football player that I know for certain has someone named after him. Because um, <laughs> my mate, who I sit with in the rookery from time to time, and we go to sahibs and talk football and other things, uh, It's called Barry Higgs. And um, his dad is a season... I thought you were author.
1: going to say his name is Endine for a minute. I thought, well, no, okay, that's no. taking it a bit... And
2: Barry was named after Barry Endine. So he was obviously born within <laughs> within a, quite an a, He wasn't called Stuart. You know, he wasn't called Terry or Duncan or, uh, or Keith. He was called Barry. And there's a reason for that. And the thing about Barry Endine... And, uh, you know, I barely, I was young, so it's very hard for me to remember exactly. And I've, I've watched him on YouTube and stuff. But again, he had that um, sort of never say die attitude. He scored a wonderful header against Liverpool in the quarter final of the Cup in 1970. I think it, I think that's the right game. Um, I'll probably get pelters if I'm wrong, but it's a cross and it, it comes in and he just sort of gets his nut on it and it loops it over the keeper and he just had that. He had that cult status, you, you can't really describe him as uh, in any other way because, you know, his, uh, <laughs> his song was Barry, Barry ending, Barry, Barry ending and people sung it and he was only there for, I think, two seasons at most. Uh, again, he had that slightly flawed character where, you know, some games he was really awful and did nothing and then other games he was brilliant. But again, he was life and soul. He just played with his heart on his sleeve and he he played full throttle, 100%. And he just tried his best. But there was just that that sort of X factor that made him into someone that people loved and lots of people didn't love at all and thought he was rubbish and he should get him out of the club. But for me, he was just one of those people that everyone talked about for those two years when I was, I don't know, seven and eight, something like that.
0: Well, the one player, again, from that era who played alongside Barry would have been Rodney Green. And I'd never heard of Rodney Green before. And when we asked, and we mentioned this on the podcast, we said, who are your cult heroes? David Harrison got in touch uh, and he sent us uh, a message why he thinks Rodney Green should be uh, in this cult 11. And should we have two forwards from the 1970s? That's really the question. Can he he change things? Here's what he says about Rodney.
4: My first real-life Hornet hero was Cliff Holton, a genuine Watford legend, loved, appreciated and admired by all added to which he was a superb footballer, so no good for this exercise. Spin forward ten years, though, and you come to the charismatic Rodney Green, who qualifies on pretty much every nominated count and a few more besides. He had an unusual non-football Christian name. He didn't stick around for long. 19 Football League starts, plus a load of substitute. He played the guitar. He wasn't terribly good at football, he joined us from Luton Town for the princely sum of £3,000 and after he left Watford, achieved precisely nothing in the game. <laughs> but he was the first horn with a potentially exploitable brand of his own, the woolly green gloves he wore, whatever the weather, and he somehow earned a little song almost as soon as he arrived. He's up, he's down, he's down. He's in the Rose and Crown, Rodney Green, Rodney Green. Which may even have given a clue as to one of his alleged interests outside the game. Added to which, his arrival on the pitch was always greeted with a plaintive cry of Rodney, Rodney, which the (laughs) rookery nicked from QPR, where Marsh was very much the star turn. Our Rodney was ridiculously cool before that was even a thing. But as he left the Vic in 1970, only those aged 60-odd will have any idea who I'm on about. For a glimpse of Rodney, though, go to YouTube, search for Ken Furphy's Watford Team Talk for Manchester United 1969. That's Rodney, sitting in the back row, directly behind Barry Endine. At one stage, listening to Furphy, Rodney appears to have nodded off, while there's a distinct suggestion of cigarette smoke billowing around his head. In summary, he was a big, clumsy, old-fashioned centre-forward who didn't stay long at any of his many clubs but at Watford he developed a glorious knack of coming off the bench and making things happen, even when he wasn't directly involved. And whenever he scored, Watford won, so that helped. But the rookery loved Rodney, we all love Rodney, you'd have loved Rodney, a proper Terrace cult hero.
1: What I love about that, what an amazing evocative description of him. I love, do love Rodney Green, now having heard that. <laughs> but isn't it interesting, He he used the word... Which perhaps we were maybe a little bit nervous about using about these players. He said he was cool, and I think that does play into yeah. who you think is a hero or who who has a bit of cult status, doesn't it? It's so being cool is whether we'll admit it to ourselves or not. We do. We still do think. Oh, he looks cool like that. I like the way he dresses, walks, talks, what he's listening to, and to, yeah, I just. I, I'm smitten with Rodney Green. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he definitely goes in. He's got to go in. Okay, he's Partly in but there. for the fact that he's a rarity and not many people will know about him, I and mean, it'll, it'll yeah. Of course, people will look him up and and, and and sort of look into him and stuff. Sure. And, and I think that's a really good thing. And It's such a beautiful description of a player. He has to go in.
0: Yeah. Um, the other one, you, the other two you, you, you put on your list originally uh, Colin was Devon White and Jerry Armstrong. Now, why Devon? Why has he got that cult quality?
2: Well, Devon sounds a bit like Rodney Green, although I don't think he's found himself in the Rose and Crown too often, and I'm pretty sure he didn't smoke cigarettes, but he was one of those big lumps up front, and uh, golly, I mean, he could be a three, and then occasionally he could be an eight, but again, he had that thing, uh, and I think he was quite cool, Devon, I mean, he's a big lad, um, and he uh and he got around he got around on the pitch okay. But he, his ability was was questionable, but then he had he had games where he just could he, he couldn't help but score, if you like. And I think again that inspired a certain type of love. Again, we weren't really doing that well when he was playing for us. Not like when we had Paul Furlong and Bruce Dyer. You know, it, it, he was our go-to number nine, and and you know, we we knew that we were limited and that he was limited, but somehow that thing of going up for every high ball you know trying to protect the ball running around wholehearted 100 percent effort um i was sitting in the vicarage road in those days um before the family stand and the away fans were there and you know we we used to sort of call him towards us you know to you know <laughs> to try and get him to, to sort of suck the ball into the net and uh, he just inspired that kind of affection maybe not yeah. love but he definitely inspired that affection for his wholehearted effort he was a kind of Mr Watford in that, I had in a that bit area.
1: of a I had a bit of a Terry Garbutt moment with um, with Devin White actually called me and my brother Andy <laughs> we for some reason we ended up with um, tickets for the players lounge at when Watford played away at Northampton Good Lord! and I th- I'm pretty sure this was the game I'd have to double check that he was playing but it was a game where we ended up in the in the players lounge I'm pretty sure it's at Sixfields Northampton I remember I was like, "Oh, there's there's Big Dev, Let's go. Let's go and speak to him." So we sort of tried to play it cool. We said, "Don't oh, worry, uh, right, Devon. Enjoy that." And he went, "Not really." Walked off. <laughs> <laughs> so that we were left there going, oh, "Right, okay." Um, well, you weren't wearing your
2: full kit, that, and you weren't nine see, years either, old, that's, Mike. And that's, that's why. That's <laughs> that. That's either rude
0: or just incredibly cool. Yeah, yeah. let's go with the latter, shall we? Let's go with the latter. And I think that's why. I think Devon should go in. But the the other one you want to put in, Colin, uh, was, of course, Jerry Armstrong. A man who's very well known. Did some big things at Watford. He was part of the promotion team. He was the star, maybe. He was one of the stars around that point. Yeah, he scored in the
2: World Cup when he was at Watford.
0: And scored in the World Cup. He was one of our players for the World Cup Eleven we did a couple of weeks ago. But also, you know, he scored the first goal in the top division, does not sound like a cult?
2: Well, the thing, about, um, the thing about Jerry was that if you took a tape measure and put it around his middle, I think you'd have been quite surprised at the number you came up with. So there was a slightly rotund element to him, which I think made him feel a bit like it could have been you. Like he he was that bloke that just came off the terraces. He goes, oh, I've got some boots with me. So come on then. So there was a slight sniff of the non-league player about him in terms of his, which is really unfair to say that because he was a really good footballer, but he just had that element of looking like every man. He didn't look like an Adonis, like a footballing god. He looked like your mate who played football for, you know, uh, Harrow and Wildstone, but he'd somehow elevated himself to be this player playing in a World Cup, scoring a goal, playing at Watford in the First Division. And but he never really had that kind of slick uh, status. And he was, you know, he, he he didn't really he didn't really look like a footballer, I guess. And of course he was hugely loved uh, wasn't there for that long. I don't know how many appearances uh, he had, but uh, maybe you're right. Maybe he was maybe his career was just a little bit. Uh, well, you know, maybe he was just too prominent, too, too loved, possibly. But um, I think there's definitely he's definitely got a shout to get in that cult 11, because, again, unlike, you know, Blissett, uh or Deeney, you know, who are genuine Watford heroes, Watford legends. I don't think Armstrong is that. Uh, I think he's he's something else, and that's why I've sort of I thought of him when I was thinking about you know sort of a cult eleven.
0: Okay, you cut you talk yourself out of that, and I'll go with that a little bit. Um, <laughs> you can't play as you mentioned, Mike. One was Fernando Forestieri, yeah. um, one was Heide Helgeson, yeah. and the other one was Ewan Roberts.
1: Yeah. Now <laughs> I've got another one as well. Oh God, that the, Dominic Foley, because he's <laughs> he's one of these players that. I don't, This is probably just me. I'm just probably, what I'm doing is is highlighting my absolute lack of footballing expertise and inability to pick a decent player. But for some reason, I got it into my head that Don Foley, came from Wolves initially on loan and then I think we signed him permanently. I felt like we saw him play and it's like, well, he's not that good, but Graham Taylor wants him. So he's going to come good. Um, I'm really looking forward to when he catches fire. And... uh, yeah, still waiting for Don Foley to catch fire. But I quite like that. I like that sort of, that <laughs> sense of unfulfilled promise and that sort of slight whiff of, of disappointment, but not being disappointed enough to actually be annoyed with him or dislike him. It sort of sums up, perhaps Watford in that, in that era quite, quite nicely, but maybe sums up football supporterdom as a whole. It's, it's always, you hope for the best but probably deep down you know you're going to get nowhere near the best. And that, that's kind of what it's like. And Dom Foley sort of um, sums that up for me a little bit. Ewan Roberts, I think, again, sort of Watford had him when he was young, went on to sort of have better careers elsewhere, sort of like the reverse perhaps of, uh, of, uh, of Lloyd Doyley. went on and is probably more fondly remembered at Norwich, for example. Um, then, he, then he will be at, at Watford. But I quite like that. I like the fact that we're sort of, we had him when he was young and sort of almost impossibly tall and gangly with that incre- incredible um, mouthful of teeth. Um, he was just so visibly striking. Um, and he did all right, I think, for, for Watford, as young when he, was, when he was coming through. But he's just one that sort of sticks in there in the in the memory that I enjoy sort of thinking about him playing for Watford, if if that makes sense.
0: And Hyder for me, oh, what a legend! That now, you, oh no, Mike, you can't, he can't yeah, go in now. You can. said what a legend, but, but this is this is where I might stick him in for his return and that loan period, because I felt he was more cult like when he returned. Oh, I remember Hyder from before. He was amazing. And he came back and did it again. So maybe not put him in because of what happened. And yes, he might have fallen off an advertising, advertising board. <laughs> he might have come from uh, the, uh, the Scandinavia, which was sort of a rarity. But go on, why can, can you put him... The, the fact he said legend, because I don't think, I a, think legend a legend can legend. go in. I think he's a
1: legend. <sighs> but, if you, but if you think, would anyone have, it, again, apply the, apply the doily principle... How many people outside perhaps Fulham and QPR would even recognise the name? And I know that doesn't necessarily really dictate whether he's a Watford legend or not. I think with Hider, I'm not 100 percent sure that he ever knew what he was going to do next, which I which I love about him. Just that he had, he was just that, he just seemed that chaotic, powerful ball of sort of relentless energy. His his ability to jump. And hang in the air was Ronaldo-esque. He was Cristiano Ronaldo in the air before Cristiano Ronaldo was ever was ever a thing. Um, and he was just. I don't know, he was. was just, he was just bonkers. And I and I think his I think his on-field persona was potentially slightly different to his off-field persona as well, which I think he's quite quiet and um and, and reserved for whatever reason. But and but if you saw him play, you'd think he was this sort of Absolute, you know, hooning nutcase, and I, I just everything about him was I'm not gonna say cool, but he I don't know, he just made me feel, yeah, go on, we've got Hyder playing today, this is going to be good fun, if nothing else, it's something good will happen whether it's making me laugh, whether it's him hammering a, a defender, whether it's him staying in the air to win a header for uh, 15 seconds and winning the header. And if he did win the header, he didn't know if it'd go towards goal or if he'd accidentally clear it sometimes. So just that sort of, just that whole, that, that the energy, you know, I'm talking quicker, talking about him. And I think it's just that that whole fizz, the buzz, the anticipation, the joy of seeing him, him pull on the, the, the yellow shirt was... Uh, was great, and I think he's a legend, but in a different in a different way. If that makes sense, so I, you know, I, I, I'd like to see him in there. A...
0: Well, we'll see. This we definitely pretty got pretty convincing, pretty convincing argument. He, he is, but Rodney Green's going in. Other players we thought about. Now I thought about Dave Bamber because you know he played for such a short amount of time, and maybe it was again my very innocent. You know, eight-year-old self watching Watford play. He scored goals, but he he was literally around. I think twenty games, a few months. He came in, he scored some goals. We sold him again for a load of money, and I sort of quite like that quality. He did have a great '80s mullet, and the other really great connection he has <laughs> now is that he is father-in-law to one Daniel Barkman. So. Does that give him a cult enough thing to beat high? that's Colin. just weird, I think. Okay, yeah, that's <laughs> just weird. Well, cult is weird, isn't you it? I think, I, think
2: we, I think we've got to have a conversation about Forestieri. Because okay, go on then, go on. I, I didn't like him at all. Uh, he annoyed me. Frustrated a, me. Yeah, so I'm a bit on the other side of the fence with the holobass thing in that I did occasionally sort of lift my backside off the chair when he got the ball because you knew that he really only thought about himself He's entirely self-obsessed as a player. I don't know what he's like as a person, although I I know that uh, some people were unkind and said that he was like a child who never grew up. Um, I think Deeney said that, in fact. But um, but he said it in a kindly way. He didn't dislike Forestieri, but he was a frustrating player to watch. Um, But he was also exciting. And there are some people at the club who absolutely loved him. And then he went off to Sheffield Wednesday, I believe, and Mm -hmm. he wore his Watford mudguards under oh, yeah. his Sheffield United uh, Sheffield Wednesday Mudguard, socks shin pads <laughs> shin pads, sorry not mudguards well he needed, probably didn't need, didn't need mudguards his shin pads god I'm getting old um, he wore his Watford shin pads under his Sheffield Wednesday socks and they, there's a photograph of him playing for Sheffield Wednesday and because the socks are pulled so tight you can see the Watford badge under the socks so I mean maybe just like those shin pads or maybe just loved Watford so much he couldn't bear not to go on a pitch no matter who he was playing for without some bit of Watford kit on him I think it's highly unlikely but he split opinion he was fast he was exciting he occasionally dived which no one liked um he was occasionally rubbish um but then occasionally he was inspired and so i don't know i mean i think he's he is, a, he is a, a cultish type figure. But having listened to Mike talk about Hyder Helgerson, it's pretty hard to say no to Hyder.
0: Okay. The other ones we did talk about, we did uh, on the, our conversation, we had Ronnie Rosenthal, of course. Uh, Dennis Bailey. Gary Pornrice. Sorry, Penrice. Anthony McNamee. Scott <laughs> Fitzgerald. I mean, he wasn't a great... He did get top scorer one season. Di Thomas... He did play in the, the, you know, the, that, that game against Luton. That went really well. Uh, Mo Johnson, not around very much, but he was a superstar. Um, not quite there. And Christian Bottocchio, uh, he sort of also came up. Of course, his, his goal against Huddersfield was a wonder goal, but actually it wasn't his goal. He just did the last little kick. The rest of the team will pass that ball around in absolute control oh, over yeah, Huddersfield goal, in the snow, incredible. and he just sort of popped it in, in the end. So I'm, I'm going to give you an option, Mike, and Colin might save you here. We haven't picked goalkeeper, and we had a massive conversation about Tony Coton. Yeah, because again, the legend status that he had. If you were going to pick between Haider Helgerson and Tony Coton to be, so we got we have a legend, but you know, uh, you know, uh, uh with cult, cult qualities. Yeah, which one would you prefer to pick?
1: So, uh, yeah. I'd love Tony Cope to go in, but my—I mean, my choice in between the sticks would be Perry Digweed, but that's probably a, a discussion for <laughs> another, another day. I—I I think I keep going back to Adam's characteristics about the slightly—you know—Tony Cope had that edge, didn't he? Mm. And, you know, he liked going out for a beer. He was mates with with Mick Harford, who's effectively the enemy. Their best mates, but he was—he's looting through and through, isn't he? Hit the whole sort of England story about why he never, he never managed to play for England, despite being patently one of the best keepers in the country for a, a sustained period. So there's loads of sort of peripheral stuff about Tony Cotan I absolutely adore. And go back to the, the hero status and, and the way I viewed him as a as a youngster. But I think potentially Tony Coton is elevated above this side. This is no, no disrespect to any of the players who have made it in. But I think he he's in a class of his own. I think ab- above uh, above this level. So for me, take a seat, Tone. you enjo- enjoy continue to enjoy your retirement. Perry Digweed could go on the bench, and we'll have I'll 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 take Hider Helgeson and stick him in up front if that's all right. Because seeing him in action for Watford again would be uh, would be uh,
0: joyous for me. So Colin, who else are we going to stick in to go up front with Rodney Green and Hyder Helgeson? Uh, is it Fernando? Is it Fessy?
2: Not for me. But then I then I I didn't like it. I, I used to get really annoyed and, and stand up and yell at him. So I'm on. The, but that doesn't mean he's not a cult player. He's just not yeah. a cult player for me, which is fine. I think he, he he's got a shout. Uh, Devin White? Has he has he got that? I quality? think White's got to go in. Okay, he's yeah, in. I think he's White's in. in.
0: Because- so that leaves us with David James uh, to go into goal. Um, I did think about Jonathan Bond. Um, uh, for his mask he wore for a couple of games after his injury um, against Leeds in that first Pozzo season. But I I think David James, again, for that, even though he was young, fans did get on his back
2: we call him um, Calamity James, John. Yeah, I know. Coined the phrase. Did we call we, him that? Yeah, we coined that
0: phrase. Oh, I didn't know that yeah, was that. for fans. Um, I was with Anne Swantz in the uh, in the um, what do you call it, the uh, family enclosure. So we weren't allowed to do that. Sort but that of didn't mean we didn't then. like him. I mean, it didn't mean we think no. didn't
2: think he was a good goalkeeper. It's just that he had you know he had that kind of quirky quality. See, for me, I think I make Mike right. I think Hyder has to go in, but not Coton, because I think you know Coten goes into the forever eleven, if you like. Yeah. The, you know yeah. the. If you're going to best pick ever. the best 11 players that have ever played in position, he, get, he gets in for me. So I don't think he can be in, in the cult one. He, he's, mm. he, did, have, he did have personality uh, aside to him that was kind of extravagant. And we've all met him at, uh, at Watford Palace Theatre and he hasn't changed. He's still, you know, he's a talker and he's funny and he's entertaining and he's just brilliant. But um, I think as a footballer, he's, he's number one. So he's Watford's number one.
0: Okay. I don't think he can go in. My favourite memory David James was at a junior Hornets evening. we were in, I think it was the player's bar. And this is when he was still a youth player. He literally picked me up from one side of the table, lifted a seven year old John up, and then ah. pulled me across to the other side of the table and dropped me down again. So he beat up children. No, he didn't really. So I
2: think David James would like to be in this 11 which I yeah. think speaks to his cult status. Yes, I goes, think yeah, you Yeah, yeah, I, think you're yeah. Right. I make you right, lads. I make yeah. you
1: right. He's an artist as well, isn't he? So he's got that, <laughs> he, he does, uh, I think he's, he's big in his drawing. So yeah, he's got enough about him to be, um, to, to make it in. And what, the other thing I like about it is that probably, if you, everyone that stopped the, um, stopped the podcast when you um, indicated to John, I'd love to know how many people say David James and I don't reckon there'll be that many, which in itself... <laughs> Makes it a bit kelty doesn't it?
0: <laughs> so, if you have got eleven together uh, and you are on the way to Middlesbrough, or you're listening to it someday on Friday or Saturday morning, do send them in at social at What Podcast on social media on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook or on uh, on Twitter, and we'll 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 read a few of them out uh, when it comes to the uh, the post Middlesbrough podcast. So, David James in goal, Jose Holabas, Danny Shittu, Colin Foster, and Lloyd Doyley in defence. A midfield of Nigel Callaghan, Valon Barami, and Brian Talbot. And up front, Rodney Green, Devon White, and Haider Helgeson. I'm
1: I'm, I'm, uh, renewing my season ticket for that
0: side. (laughs) (laughs) From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. So we like to play a game on these away games, uh, a game of higher or lower, uh, in a game of play your player right. So today, boys, heroes, of course, score goals. Uh, And you are going to see who can keep control of the board uh, as we go through 10 players. Did they score more or less goals, higher or lower, than the previous player? Uh, Colin, you can go first. Our starter card is, of course, Watford's first-ever manager, Mr. Johnny Goodall. He uh, he scored 36 goals. So that's where we're starting. Now, Kenny Jacket. Did he score more or less goals than Johnny Goodall? Blimey. He was there a long time. Exactly. I'm
2: going to say lower, but just by like one.
0: It's by two. <laughs> okay. 34 goals for Kenny Jacket. Now, someone who came up in our uh, discussion earlier, of course, was Ewan Roberts. He's the second one. Uh, a striker. Kenny Jackett scored 32. Did you and Robert score more or less than oh, Kenny Jacket? I am going to go for lower, John. You are correct again, Colin. Two in a row, still in control. <laughs> Let's go another 80s man, Steve Terry, him with the headband, because uh, his soft skin on his forehead. More. Or less than Ewan Roberts' 12 because John, uh, Steve Terry was a centre back. I think he scored more. I think he scored 14 or 15. He scored 20. Oh. Colin is going to go all the way. Mike, you're not going to get a, a, anything. A Anya is next, number four on the list. Kechi Anya, more or less goals than Steve Terry's 20. 20 quite a lot of goals, I have to yes. say. Uh, Anya
2: was at the club for oh, three or four seasons. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't remember him being that prolific. I'm going to go less, lower. Correct. Nine. Good God. Mike, halfway. Not quite halfway, but will you ever get on it? Now, nine for a kitschy. Adeline Guardiola. More... Or less, Mike. You remember the the magnificent thunder blaster he scored in the FA Cup uh, against uh, Arsenal, don't you?
1: I certainly do. Yeah, please, uh, check it out on YouTube. We did a little away day video for oh, that yeah. one. So yeah, it's uh, search up uh, from the Rikari end uh, quarterfinal. It's uh, good. Yeah, uh, what a goal it was! Just one of the most extraordinary
0: moments. My head nearly
1: exploded. Uh, such was my excitement. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, did he score more or less than the Kit Janya's nine, Ooh, Colin? He scored less. He did score less.
1: What these guys, what, what sort of thing is happening here?
0: Now, number six is Hammer Did he score more or less than Guardiola?
2: How many did Guardiola score? Six.
0: Four, four. Yeah, I thought he
2: hadn't scored that many. Mind you, that was a key goal. That counts as about hundred. That one in the <laughs> FA Cup. Um, didn't he score one against Derby as well? Or was it his? Was it his assist when we were two-one down with a it minute to assist, go? Was his assist? Wasn't it? Assist, yeah. That was in the promotion season.
0: Uh, well, I think he scored more than four. Fourteen. Ten more. Jay Demerit. Here for longer. Oh, similar time. One. But did he score more or less than but then Hammer? Yeah, of his 14 of Hammer or Jay Demerit. Fourteen goals. It seems unlikely that he scored more than 14.
2: Oh. Um, I'm going to go lower. Correct. Ten. He
1: did, get, he did get deployed as a striker once, didn't he? I think they, it was it and tried to play him up front a couple of times when we were we were desperate. <laughs> Quite possibly. A couple of times, yeah. Anyway, back to you, Cole. <laughs> sorry,
2: sorry, uh, Mike. If you just sit down for a second, how many have I got left to get?
0: Uh, three. And, and you, go have through to, the whole you, you have to get the whole. board. you have to get the third one. You get the third one wrong, Mike wins without saying a word. Well, now, J Demerit, ten. Etienne Capoue, more or less. In the goals for the Hornets, less. It's more. Is it? It is more. It's not many more. Fourteen. Uh. Etinkpoo fourteen. Mike Tom cleverly
1: more than fourteen.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> and just to say, this is well. He did score one this year. This doesn't include the one he scored this year. Why wouldn't it? Because oh, yeah, I can include it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I, he's played quite, He's played at significantly longer I can remember
2: all his goals as well, pretty much The one against Palace to win 2-1 The one against Arsenal to win 2-1 But, I, but he scored 14? Quite, he That's scored the question. A lot is it his, more than 14? He scored a
1: lot when he played as a, as a kid, didn't he? I think What, when he was on loan? Yeah When
0: he was 20 years old or something like that
1: With that Evolution TV kit on um, I'm going to take a punt and say more
0: 19 goals And to win this, Mike, after Colin Colin has done all the hard graft, (laughs) Gerard Delafayu.
4: More or less than
0: 19. If we go by Colin's uh, uh, idea about that goal, he gets more points for it. His goal against Wolves, of course, in the FA Cup Series final. Yeah, but the first one at least, that's worth 15. But no, we're not going to play that. So 19 for Tom Cleverley. To win, Mike. To win. Oh, before, Gerard Delafeu,
1: I'm, pre- I'm going to. I've got my answer locked into my head, but I'm, I was just watching the other day some of the, that that cup final year. Delafeu, Pereira, Capu, <laughs> Holabas God, some of the players we had. Corey in the yellow shirt. It was. Yeah. It's almost obscene Yama. looking back on it. Um, how good they were, and Pereira, I think. I'm so I am so. think this is sort of like almost to feel like a bit of a Catholic sort of absolving myself of all my sins here because <laughs> I, I had a bit of a sort of um, epiphany watching these highlights. I was really hard on Pereira and watching him play for Watford yeah. now back then it's like, oh my God, Mike. I know.
0: What I think he's God. up there
1: with Barnes. I think he's technically one of the best players we've ever had.
0: Anyway, he's not he, the player
2: in the game here,
1: Pereira. He's just,
2: he's just uh, deflecting.
1: Yeah, I feel I feel better now that because I've uh, I've sort of I'm at peace. Uh, Delafeu
0: scored um, less seventeen. Mike, oh. you are ah. the winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seventeen goals for Gerard Delafoe, uh, and that makes Mike the winner of this game of Play Your Player Rights. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you.
2: What uh, a lovely, lovely. T- Time to spend just chatting about Watford and players. That's that's the
0: point of these podcasts. These are the conversations fans will be having on their way up to uh, a game, uh, enjoying each other's company... I mean I don't know how many people were shouting at their uh, their iPhones or their 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 radios in the car mic when you said hi Helgerson, but he, he made a, a 11 cult a cult 11 um, but uh, yeah we'll see and do send those in to us thank yeah, you very much uh, we're going to finish off this podcast uh, it's, it's been a long one so far but as we said it's a, it's a long way to Middlesbrough uh, with an interview that we did with Lloyd Doyley one of our cult 11 uh, it's an interview that Mike and I did with, with Lloyd in the the old main stand when it was pretty much half in use, but the, the, the old change rooms were still there. We got to spend an hour or so, didn't we, Mike, with with, with Lloyd?
1: It was wonderful. Yeah. In the bowels of the of the East stand. Yeah. Just chatting, uh, chatting his career, chatting all things, um, all things Watford. And uh, yeah, a pleasure to talk to someone who uh, it's just, it, he came to life when he's talking about Watford, didn't he? He was yeah. so, he loved it. And, Therefore, talking to him about Watford was, uh, was a wonderful experience for us and, uh, yeah, something to look back very fondly on and I actually enjoy listening to you as well.
0: Yes, thank, before we go, uh, thank you very much, Colin. Thank you. And thank you, Michael. You're welcome. Uh, and here we go with, uh, with our chat. I think it was about 2013, 2014, uh, where we spoke to Lloyd Doyley about his time at Watford. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns. Where do you normally sit? I
5: normally
0: sit right over here. This is my seat. Has it always been your seat? No.
5: When you sub, you're over there. <laughs> <laughs> I've always sat here the last few years. So. Okay. Who's next to you? Um, Scott Loach, Lee Hudson, OK. Adrian Mariapa, Tiny App, and then you stay. and then it just goes on. Do so you,
0: actually, you actually go in, in team order? Yeah, form. yeah we
5: normally do back four, midfield and the strikers and subs are there. Just so, you know, when the boss is talking to the defenders, yeah. he's talking to us, not one, two, three, four, if you know what I mean. Okay. So I'm
6: sensing when you come into into the dressing room, this is very much, this is the, the most serious place at the football club in in this room here.
5: Well, yeah, no, before the game, everyone's got different ways of relaxing. Some people, we've got uh, loud music stereo there. Uh-huh. We've got two screens. With, you know, sometimes if we if there's like a game at 12.30, we, we watch quite a lot of it okay. until uh, until about quarter past one, and then uh, we normally have a meeting about half one, then it starts to get a bit more serious, but we've still got the music on, because not everyone's got different ways of relaxing. Mm. Some people like to just listen to their old music with headphones on. How do you do, how do, what do you do? I'm the one that normally brings the CDs and so okay. uh, <laughs> I listen to the music that's on, and I, I just, try, just, just relax normally, Get a little massage, mm. do my normal preparation of just taking my time, and uh, I normally do a little bit of perception, which is uh, just just to warm up my body. What's basically. that? Mean? I use the bands, walk backwards and forwards, warm up my glutes. Okay, you know, you know, warm up my ankles. I'm getting a little bit older now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> have, you got, have you got a CD plan
6: then for the first home game of the season? Do you know what CD you're going to bring in?
5: Not yet. I'm sure there will be a few people with their iPods or iPhones. Is it new is music or is it a play, are they classic hits? It's normally new, to be honest. Whatever's big at a time, we normally put it all on a CD or on our iPod and just play it. Some people will like to listen to you know, hip Monkeys or a bit of indie music, a bit of rock music, but mostly it is, like, high-tempo music, like Funky House or, yeah. you know, a bit of house music, a bit of, you know, something to get you going,
0: mm. really, or even a little bit of R&B or hip-hop. Yeah. You're, so you're in your 10th year of Watford first-team player. Or how has this room changed in that time? Apart from perhaps a bit of a decoration, because it looks quite new, this is it's certainly not the original change room yeah
5: well um you know this got changed about three years ago okay. uh i think just before eddie bufroyd left um he got this room sorted because this room was just as bad right. as the away away room yeah we've just been in there and it isn't yeah. the nicest place in the it's world it's not it? the nicest it's 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 not nice for you know the away team but you know it's not supposed to be, is it? No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> get them in the wrong frame of mind. That's maybe. right.
5: So uh, you know everything in there is just perfect for us. We've got the big screen where we put all of our um, set pieces up, our game plan. You know who's marking who and where everybody is at set pieces.
0: So That's, with with that in terms of the the build up to when you talk about those things, have you talked about them a lot in the week? And it's yeah. just a reminder, or do you do a lot of Changes on it. Yeah, well, we normally do it on the first
5: day, set pieces and stuff. We normally go through it on the first day, and on Friday we finalize stuff. And everything that's been finalized is normally put up on the big screen. And sometimes, you know, if we're playing away, we normally have a little meeting before we set off to the ground. Okay, and we go through it again. Because you know, in football, most goals are. Scored by set piece, at set pieces, so we was quite good at that last year. We mm. scored quite a lot and yeah. uh, we defended quite well. So uh, I'm sure, I'm sure the boss is going to continue that.
0: So played really good. See, yeah. he, he's, you know, he he'll be the I think he'll be the sixth manager to pick to you in your time here at Watford. How how are they all? I've not picked yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, you you played play the pre-season games. you for at least You know, in, in that, in how uh, have all those managers been different for you? You know, in terms of, you know, uh, yeah. When I first
5: had my debut it was under Viare, I was pretty shocked to get in, to be honest, because uh, we brought you know seven or eight, I think about nine players actually mm-hmm. in at a mm-hmm. time, and. Uh, No, it was was a bit of a, you know, scary moment because obviously Graham Taylor gave me pro. He actually had the faith in me to give me pro. Then Viali came in and I wasn't too sure. But, you know, with a lot of hard work, I played 25 games that year. Mm. But, um, yeah, every man is just different, really. Everyone's got different ways of coaching. Sean Dyche and Malky, they're quite similar, to be honest, in the way they coach. Very similar. I'm sure Sean Dyche learned that from hmm. Malky, and I'm sure Malky learned got bits and bobs from AD Boothroyd as mm-hmm. well, because uh, you know we, we're quite an organised club in everything we do. Who
0: was who for you was the the, the best manager? Well, um, I think you go off
5: probably success. The most successful time for me as a player was when we got promoted, and uh, so. You know, I would put a d b Freud even though maybe his style of football might have not pleased everyone. It worked for us at the time. Mm. And uh, we were a fourth, fourth in the championship that year. So uh, I think I'll probably go with uh, my successful year.
4: Okay.
6: Is that something that players pick up on, Lloyd? Bit, I mean, personally, I'm the school of thought. If we're winning, I'm happy. Basically, I want to see us do well. But I mean, but there was a few, you know, non-Watford sports would say, "Oh, you're under under AD, we didn't play great football." Do you pick up on that as players, and perhaps even mention to him, "Can we try something different?"
5: Um, yeah, at the time, you know, when, when you're winning, yeah, you don't work. really think about that because you're winning. And you know, we won most games that year. Well, not most games. We won quite a lot of games that year. I think. That was always an afterthought, you know, the way we were playing because we was winning. But, um, you know, teams eventually realised how we were going to play and Mm. matched it, really. Mm, mm. And sometimes it was a bit hard to break them down. And that's what we needed as a, you know, as a second option, maybe, to maybe get the ball down and try and play through them, which we didn't do as much in the Premiership, for instance. When we got relegated from the Premiership, United he obviously realised that we needed to play football a little bit more. And uh, I think he wanted to bring that upon us, but we were still sort of in the mould of the long ball Mm. of what got us that success in the first place. But um, I think the football club is slowly, gradually getting more football. We still have to be direct at times. Mm-hmm. because uh, you know, sometimes on the pitch it hasn't been the best surface <laughs> to play on. But hopefully they can rectify that in, in the next couple of years. Sometimes it's just a battle game, so you might have to just battle, battle the way through and just play a little bit long balls. But I think in the final third or in their half, we're looking to play ball and uh, provide and score a lot of goals.
6: Yeah, we we'll look forward to that. Yeah. Like we're sitting in the in the train room at the moment. It's empty, but it's not hard for us to imagine all the sort of all the boys here. Was there one one of the squad that would sort of typically be messing around a bit, sort of?
5: Yeah, I'd probably say Scott Lodge. He'd be right there chucking balls about <laughs> and just uh, annoying people. <laughs> um, I'd probably say Troy Deeney as well. He, he likes he likes to have a little bit of a joke, a little bit of banter.
6: There's no, no deep heat in the pants or anything like that these days? Uh no, no, that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe at training, at training, but not, <laughs> not in here. Not, not asking about no. that Saturday. So, game time. Yeah. How do you know it's time to go? What happens?
5: Just after we get in, about 1.30, the gaffer normally comes in, has his little words, you normally go through the set pieces, and that's when they you know it's game time. Especially when we go out as well. Since we go out for the warm-up, you know, everybody's focused. Warming up properly and starting the game right. Do, do you have set times that go out for warm-up? Yeah, we normally go out at 20 past 2. We normally have a couple of minutes to ourselves to just have a little jog or a little kick about. And then after a few minutes, we get into the normal routine of our warm-up. Bit of shooting
6: practice as well, of course. Uh, Not that you need it, <laughs> <my understanding. laughs>
5: Not for me, but yeah. I, I'm normally part of the back four, so I normally do a bit of back four work and a bit of passing. the
6: normally part of the back four. Does that say? It sounds to me you might be <laughs> angling for a new position, Lloyd. Well, um, exclusive here.
5: I'll play anyway. <laughs> <laughs> left back, right back, left wing, right wing. So <laughs> it's,
0: it's fast approaching three o'clock. Do, do you? Is it? Does the referee come and say, "Hey, come lads Or yeah.
5: Well, about ten minutes to three, the referee tells us to get ready. Okay. So everyone's just doing the final little bits and bobs, like putting on their shirts and doing the shoelaces putting the tie-ups on, and then we go out, and then... Well, should we go out? Yeah. Does there,
6: a bell go, or anything like yeah,
5: that? Yeah, there, there is a bell. There's a bell in there that's pretty loud.
6: Can
0: and
5: you then...
6: do an impression of that bell so we can
0: get the <laughs> <out> real... There. <laughs> there we go. So we're
6: leaving
0: the dressing room now. And this corridor, is this... Because the home team have to walk past the waiting dressing room. Yeah. Now, are they waiting for you, or...? Is 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 this you know outside the door where the train? Can can this be where some tension sort of starts, or is it? Um, No, it varies. Sometimes
5: they stay in the room and they might wait for us to come out, and sometimes we're out before them, or sometimes they're out before us. But um, in the tunnel is where the little bit of tension is really when we're seeing each other and we're face
0: to face. You must know players from other teams. Yes. Is there that sort of? At what point do you are you not friends? Are you, are you professionals? Because like we, you know, we see quite regularly that when you're warming up, that's where you kind of say hello and yeah. you know shake hands and stuff. Is there a point where you switch that off? Yeah, um, you
5: know, obviously we know quite a lot of the footballers from being at different clubs and seeing them just out and about. I think soon as we get out there, really, that's when. We're not friends no more. Okay. You know, because everybody, everybody wants the three points. Everybody wants to to get up the league, and everybody wants the winning bonus as well. So uh, when we're out there, we're not we're not friends anymore.
6: Okay. One of my yeah. favourite Watford moments was when you guys were in the in the tunnel at the Millennium Stadium, and you were giving it
5: some serious hammer. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that's what adb for loved at the time. He loved the intimidation. Yeah. You know, he loved everyone being loud, looking into their faces and trying to scare them. And before, it looked like you did as well. Before <laughs> we actually got out there. And, uh, and I think we did. <laughs> A lot of times they thought, oh, they're up for it. They look like they're up for it. And I think that happened at the Millennium. I think it sort of happened... At Crystal Palace as well. Okay, that's interesting. Um, but even though they were a tough, really tough side, mm. really tough side, I think you know they felt the hostile environment that we were giving off. But um, yeah, it, years after we were still doing it. We used to have Danny Shitu in here, a big lad, <laughs> <laughs> and if he's shouting, you know to move out by the way, or you know to take notice. So um, you know, we, we did intimidate a lot of teams. I thought it's good. Now we've
6: stood in the tunnel under the Welcome to Vicarage Road Stadium sign. We can just see the pitch. So the two teams line up here, ready to go out. That's
5: right. Have you got a particular spot in that line that you that you stand in? Yeah, I normally stand about here. I normally stand third or fourth, no fourth or fifth in the in the line. And uh, I've always got a bottle of drink in my hand. Yeah, is that a little? I think it is. I think it is. I'm not that superstitious, but I've always got a bottle of drink in my hand. And as I go out, I throw it onto the pitch. To the
0: loud side loud. of the pitch. Do, you do for later on
5: or just to get rid of it? Mm, just to get rid of it, and it's just something that I've always done.
6: OK. Is
5: it almost like a little switch? So sort of, you carry yeah. it and you throw it and you're like, right, yeah. Yeah, we're ready to go. Yeah, let's go. But you're not superstitious, no? I'm not, not really. <laughs> but it, that sounds like I. Uh, it doesn't, it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is one thing that I always do. Okay.
6: So yeah. Zed Cars strikes up the famous music. Yeah. And we start walking out. So we'll pretend we'll yeah. Z Cars is and we we'll walk <clears throat> out. And you can see and hear the crowd really at this stage as we walk out into the uh, into the arena. How, how does it feel, Lloyd? Can you explain what it's like when you come out and hear that noise and see the crowd?
5: We normally quite often have a pat. Free stands here, so uh, all the families are straight ahead of us. So we're always waving and obviously giving everyone a clap. We need to r- walk straight across the pitch, and then uh, it's when we get the full atmosphere.
6: Hmm. Does it? How does it? Does it still feel exciting? Is there nerves? Is yeah,
5: there... oh, there's always nerves. There's always nerves. Um, I'm sure. Uh, for me personally, I'm. Um, my nerves is me going to the toilet every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that might be because I drink a lot of water. Yeah, but it could be I just go to the toilet every five minutes. I think that's my nerves. So, so I everyone who asks what's it. in that bottle, you're chucking the
6: picture. <laughs> <of> the <pit laughs> <come> yeah. <laughs> is there a, is there a particular game that stands out when you've walked out and you've heard the crowd and you thought this is going to be a a big night, a special night? Is there any particular games you can remember like that? I
5: always say when we you know play the big teams on a Saturday I can remember a few years back Sheffield United and you know they always bring a good good bunch of fans we've always had really good battles against Sheffield Mm, United I love playing against them and uh, even though we've been turned over a few times I love playing against them it's a bit disappointing now that they're in League 1 because we won't have that little especially when Warnock was there
6: yeah, that's, that's yeah. interesting you guys felt that, because I think every football fan loves to get one over Neil Warnock. Yeah. <laughs> but, so you guys obviously felt that as a team as well. well yeah,
5: because, you know, Warnock has is, is, is got a big person, like, personality. I quite like him, actually. Um, I think he's, you know, he's a character, and that's what we need in the game. You know, you always want to get one over on... Everyone really, That's but especially Sheffield really United.
6: Nice. <laughs> so if we turn right out of the tunnel, this is what you'll have done in your first appearance, yeah. going to, to sit on the bench obviously, we we'll are going to take a seat there yeah. for a
5: minute. I uh, think I was uh, sitting on this side.
0: No yeah, we
5: might as well go and get the exact seat if we can. <laughs> I think I was sitting about here. Okay. Different seats
6: now, but... Uh, More comfy these days, are they?
5: Yeah, well, yeah. Not that you know <laughs> you, don't,
6: you don't warm the bench these days, of course, which is good. So that first game, Lloyd, was it Birmingham? It was. And there's an incident that happened in that game. Do you know what I'm going to talk about?
5: Yeah, I think um, Pierre Issa got injured in the first 20 minutes, I think. And uh, he got stretched off and he fell off the stretcher. (laughs) Do you remember that? I can remember that, but I was so excited. And, you know, I didn't even have no time to actually warm up. I just went straight on. So I, I didn't even think about... You know, it's the first team game. I just, I just went straight on. It was didn't really have the time to be nervous. OK. But, yeah, I, I remember it because everybody was talking about it afterwards. Yeah. I
6: don't but, think yeah. there's anyone else playing professional football at the moment who will have started their career because someone was tipped off. A <laughs> no, it wasn't exactly <laughs> right. because he was tipped off. A but, and so fast forward a bit from that day, you've had, a, you've had an amazing career. This is, of course, the start of your testimonial year. Yeah,
5: that's right.
6: Um. I'm going to choose a favourite moment. I think it's probably everyone's favourite moment. It's you can guess what I'm going to say again. My goal, the goal, <laughs> the solitary goal so far. Talk us through that. Not just not just the actual goal itself. I know you've been asked this a million times, but how you how the whole the whole the whole thing felt to you? What you what it meant to you? And sort of what just your memories of it really?
5: All the boys have always been taking the mick out of me about not scoring, so uh, I always had that, you know every day at me, you know. <laughs> and obviously, any time I got anywhere near the halfway line with the ball, mm. the fans used to always say,
0: shoot. Do you, you hear that? Shoot.
5: <laughs> yeah, I used to hear it, yeah. Okay. I don't hear it anymore. <laughs> i scored a goal now, so. <laughs> <laughs> still do it. Used to it, do to it. Getting closer. Yeah. So I always used to hear that. And obviously, the boys used to take the mick out of me. Mm. When I actually scored a goal, uh, I made a run into the box. I scored and I thought... Is it offside? You know, cause I didn't hear. I didn't hear any crowd like in a roar until two or three second pause. Because I'm not too sure if they realised it was me. Mm, I think I'll... they might have thought maybe uh, Nathan Ellington scored because he was playing that game <laughs> as yeah, well. Yeah,
0: yeah. But is it, So I think it was because, like, for us down in the rookery, you're you at the other end. and yeah. You're that far away, and you, you never quite tell who scores. Yeah, even even right. if it's Danny is it Danny? Carry? Was that Don Carry? Or was? It Carey or was it, you well, know, it won't be either of those two anymore. Well, it won't be it? anymore. But you, you're always a little bit questioning who yeah. it is. And then I think when everyone found out it was you, I missed the goal unfortunately. But you can hear it on the commentary. You yeah. hear that sort of. You hear a cheer, then you hear a pause, and you hear a massive cheer yeah. when everyone realised that it's you who scored the goal. Yeah. Running into that box, and it's a diving header. It's a fantastic diving header. Have you ever tried to do a diving headed before? Or? Um, well,
5: in training, we always do uh, crossing and shooting. Nice. But uh, I quite often miss. <laughs> <laughs> I've scored loads of goals like that in training before, just not in the game. It was quite a lucky cross by Don Cowie at the time. And I was just in the right place at the right time. Obviously, we was 1-0 down at the time. Yeah. So even though I wanted to really celebrate, we was, it was still 20, 30 minutes into the game. Mm. And we was only drawing, so uh, I had to still concentrate on the game.
0: How did you celebrate your goal? You know, after the game or the, in the days after the game? Yeah, well,
5: um, after the game, everybody just helped me celebrate. We just went for, you know, a little drink. But just to help me celebrate. Days after, I was obviously <laughs> on Sky. Yeah. And, yeah. and everybody was, wanted to interview me. And, you know, that that that, that was a good moment. Very good moment. Okay. So that's so that's obviously a highlight, and we don't we
6: don't like to dwell on negatives on the podcast, and uh, and you're you're a, you're a positive guy as well. But is there one game in your ten year career at Watford that you'd rather rather forget?
5: Yes, so, uh, <laughs> we were in the playoff against Hull City. I think that season we were at one stage twelve points clear, mm-hmm. nine points clear by Christmas, and to be honest, we were cruising. And then after Christmas, we took a foot off the pedal. And then we just ended up in the playoffs <laughs> and we played whole city in the semi final. I think the first game was a big disappointment. But in the second game, I, I was sub and uh, you know, we, we went down by a couple of goals. And I just felt we gave up. And uh, I, just felt, I just felt the heart of the team just went. And I thought that that was like one of the worst moments of my career.
6: It felt like, for watching, that was a really hard second half of that season to watch as a supporter yes, because yeah. it just felt it was just gradual, sort of, as you say, the sort of. It, yeah. And it couldn't quite work out what was happening. There was that West Brom game here, was, wasn't there? When when we lost quite heavily.
5: Yeah, that's right. And uh, there was like eleven games we went without winning a game, mm. but I think we drew about ten of them.
0: Yeah.
5: So uh, I think that kind of like stalled us. Along on a journey.
6: What do you put that down to, Lloyd? You say you took the, the foot, your foot off the pedal a bit. I'm sure you didn't sort of stop trying as much. But do you think, as a unit, you were you felt more comfortable that you were top of the league and, and the Premiership Maybe was so. within
5: touching distance? Maybe so. Um, I think we probably took a foot off the pedal a little bit. Thinking back now, and uh, you know, at the time, January, we got rid of Marlon King as well. Mm. he he wanted to go and obviously he wanted to play in the premiership and I don't think we really replaced his goals or his influence Mm. in the team because as a player you know he worked really hard and you know obviously he scored
0: goals yeah what would you say what do you prefer in terms of not in terms of how you feel but in terms of the footballing challenge do you prefer to be struggling battling at the bottom or did you prefer being Cruising at the top?
5: You always prefer cruising at the top. <laughs> OK, just Because uh, you just love winning, don't you? <laughs> yeah. When, when, when you're winning, everybody around the tra- changing room, cha- training ground, everyone's just more happy. You know, when you talk to fans, everyone's just more happy. Mm-hmm. You know, even from winning on a Saturday and then you, you're meeting the fans and, you know, everyone's just happier. But when we go to training, uh, after losing on a Saturday, everybody's a little bit more piped down if you know what I mean everyone's a little bit more down yeah, yeah. even though we don't mean to be it's just that that's just the way it is it's natural I yeah.
6: guess you've been here as you keep mentioning you've been here a long time which is a good thing we're, we're delighted you've been here for so long I'm sure I hope you are as well has there ever been a time where you've been close to leaving has there been other clubs coming in and sniffing around
5: well um, at one stage uh, QPR came in for me mm-hmm. Um I'd didn't really have any intention of going because they, at the time they were bottom of the league and we were top of the, of the yeah, league. That's yeah. when we were you know, going back up trying to yeah. get into the Premiership. And there was a couple of seasons ago when Brendan came in. He came in and said, you know, you're not my type of player. I respect you. I, you know, I hope you You know, try and find a club. But um, after six or seven games with him not playing me, he put me in, and uh, I played against Chelsea. Even though we lost, I played pretty well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then for the next 15 games after that, I played. Mm. And then he gave me a new contract, which is good on him. Some managers could have been a bit stubborn and think, I'm not playing him, because I told him that he wasn't good enough, basically. But um, he, he played me and proved him wrong. Is that one of the most rewarding things? I think if, uh,
6: listening to you talk there, that sort of almost makes me feel proud, yeah. you know, on your behalf, that you've sort of proved someone wrong and then to yeah. come back and, I mean, you haven't, you, you can't have missed many games since then, since
5: then, have you? No, no, I haven't. Um, last season I played 47 games and no, the last season I played 40 Game, the season before that, I played 47, so uh, I played most games. I've to miss seven or eight games in the last two years, which is, very pleasing, but yeah, you know, you always want to prove people wrong. Like last year, we we, we got tipped to get relegated. Yeah, everyone was saying that we were going to finish twenty third, twenty fourth. And uh, when we went into the first game against Norwich, we had the confidence in us that we was we wasn't going to get relegated. And obviously, we proved that through uh, most of last season. How about this year, new
0: new faces. Well, yeah, oh, a, th- lot more, a lot more new faces.
5: Yeah, we've got five new faces. I'm sure we're gonna still be tipped mm. to be down at the bottom. But that's 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 something that we need to that that pushes us on. That, you know, gives us that little bit of edge and everybody's gonna expect us to lose most games. Mm. But we're gonna be the surprise package. Yeah, and that's... uh <laughs> we've got some good players in there. To replace the players that who we've lost. Mm. It would have been good to keep them but We've brought some good players in. And it's time for the youngsters to step up.
6: One quick last question, I think, and then we'll probably let you get on. We've uh, (laughs) kept you for ages. But in your time here, you mentioned we've we've lost a couple of influential players, Danny, obviously. But who's the best player you've played with in a Watford shirt, and who's the best player you've played against?
5: (laughs) (laughs) best player i played against, I thought, when I was in the Premiership, I thought, Saha, That year, I think he scored 25 goals that season for Man U. He was awesome. And uh, I'd probably say the best partnership I played against was, uh, I was playing centre-half at the time, it was probably Rooney and Larson. They were awesome. We lost 4-0 that (laughs) day. And I scored our own goal. They were awesome. Arteta as well, at the time, he just came to Everton. Couldn't get anywhere near him. He, He had that little special you know, special... Zing. Yeah, <laughs> about him.
0: Right, well, what players you played,
5: you know, your... your players I played with. Mm. I thought someone like Marlon King, he was just ruthless. He always wanted to win. When he didn't score, he was disappointed in himself. And he had that ruthlessness just to, like, win. Even in training. and Or score. Or, you know, or shoot on target. I thought he was quality. Um, technically... That's a hard one. That's a
0: hard one. Um,
5: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't know. What plays when you were younger, when you were 30, your first year, who, who were the Watford players that you kind of looked up to when you were you know, a um, junior? And, and yeah,
5: well, age? I always looked up to, at the time, I was, I was coming to quite a lot of Watford games. Darren Baisley, is pretty good. Even, like, Paul Robinson. He's only a few years older than me, but he was in the first team from pretty young, and you know he had that little edge about him to fling in a challenge. And it's, obviously, he's, he's done well for himself now, from going from Watford to West Brom and Bolton. When I was a lot younger than that, I always looked up to like Des Walker because mm. um, he was a solid, but he was a solid player. No one ever got past him.
6: You'll never beat Des Walker That's right <laughs> yeah.
5: And uh, you know Obviously he played For England So he's one of the best Centre-afts mm. Around
6: Good Well Lloyd As the rain thrashes down <laughs> yeah. On an empty Vicarage road Hopefully the sun will shine On Watford season and, and your testimonial season We hope that's a real success And I know People listening to the podcast Will be excited to hear About stuff that's going on Yeah Um and there'll be lots of chances to see you out and about and getting involved in lots of exciting stuff. So, Lloyd, thank you ever so much for your time. Good luck for the season, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC.